It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. We're the defective characters. Three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience and recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Mike F. will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in episode 36 of the Defective Characters podcast. Let's go. Hey, how's it going, gentlemen? Good. How about the sound quality last couple of episodes? Man, the best. So we were trying to sound like we recorded on a record. And I think we succeeded because it sounded actually worse. I was going for a yeah, 1950s sci-fi robot. Wait, what are those things called? The the uh, phonographs. That's what you said, James. Yeah. I did. Yeah. It, it sounded, sounded like it. And I heard if you put a penny on the needle, it would actually uh, make the record stop skipping if you have a faulty needle, in case you're still doing that. So yeah. I heard the story. I replayed it. And the story was phenomenal. And then like the audio quality but when we're listening to us three it wasn't so good i wonder if we're getting like messages from the gods i mean at least on twitter we're probably getting people angry you know (laughs) maybe at the at the very least have there been angry messages dennis since you handle the twitter page not at all really no twitter is a very angry community well, I, I think the recovery community, though, on Twitter is, is pretty strong and they're in recovery. You know, we have tools to deal with that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. The, the political community is another story. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a separate thing, which is why that's that's a part of the uh, tradition that to kind of keep all that uh, separate. Yeah. With, with the social media age, I appreciate technology because that's that's how we're communicating right now in our separate studios yeah still still in quarantines and and still dealing with the world as it comes yeah technology is stepped up in this day and age could you imagine it being like what just like even 1980s right before cell phones before the internet what it would be the nintendo Oh, no. It's crazy. Well, that's why, like, because AA got started, what was it, 1938? What was it? Something? Yeah. 35? Sounds about right. Yeah, 37. It was a week and a half ago. It was the 85th anniversary of when Dr. Bill, or or Bill and Dr. Bob actually uh, met for the very first time. So, 1918, when the Spanish flu came through and that pandemic, man, that's when alcoholics must have really lived. You know, it's like they must have, they had because they had no group come together. Because uh, I think that was before the what is it, the Washingtonian? What am I saying? Minnesotians? Who are the other groups? <laughs> the Washingtonians <laughs> and the Oxford group. You're right. But that was even before that, wasn't it? In the history of AA? 
Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He, it would have been from... like Hamiltonians was like a temperance movement. So it would have been from like the 20s and 30s. Oxford group was later. Yeah. Wait, have was we already the, started the, the most... podcast? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 who's the most knowledgeable? It's definitely not me. Who knows Dennis. the most about the history? Dennis? Dennis. Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know much. I've only seen like a couple of videos and took one lecture at the retreat thing that me and James went to a year or two ago. Okay, so that counts. Yeah, so you saw a couple of movies. You saw Chasing Lanes with Ben Affleck, probably. No, no, yeah. no like YouTube videos. No. I haven't even yeah. seen <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, my information. I read the Wikipedia article, though. Well, that's, that's uh, good. That sets us up good. So, um, so far, I think this is a episode of the podcast that's going to be different than all the rest in a good way. Uh, because this is someone that due to quarantine, we weren't able to uh, get on and, and find the same time to meet up. But he actually, Mike F., sent his story in and met Dennis when he was here a couple times on vacation. Uh, so I want to have Dennis intro Mike and we'll all listen to his story and we're going to play that for you here. Awesome. Yeah, Mike F., um, you know, as we've mentioned before, like we are us three, Mike and James and me, uh, our home group is in Celebration, Florida, and we're like five minutes away from Disney. So we have, you know, the blessing of meeting tons of people that come and visit Disney. So we meet people from all over the world and all over the country and stuff. And Mike F was one of those people where he came to vacation at Disney with his family and then showed up at a meeting of our, that I was at and we started talking and we uh you know instantly like he'll share about it in his story or whatever but like we related because we dealt with a lot of the same issues in early sobriety and before sobriety with anxiety and stuff like that um and it's a rare occasion where we meet people all the time like they come visit or we see them in a room and then we like have a conversation or two with them and then we never see them again to see how they progress or whatever because they go on with their life and wherever they are and mike uh, f has actually come back because he vacations regularly so i've seen him overcome some of the things that he has has done or had issues that he had in talking to him so it's it's good to build friendships like that where you aren't necessarily in the same town or anything like that but you share a common problem and a common solution and so mike f is also i'm rambling so i'll close this up sorry um mike f is also the first person that we've done this with where we're mobile you know had them record their story and send it to us and so we could share it with you guys and if anyone out there is interested in sharing their story in the same way they can hit us up on twitter at the underscore characters on twitter and we're open to sharing anyone's experience strength and hope so um i listened to this story mike f story a couple of times and i think you'll really enjoy it so here's mike f Hey, thanks for having me on your podcast. Thank you, Dennis, for giving me the opportunity to share my story with you guys. Um, so yeah, my name is Mike. I'm an alcoholic. 
My sobriety date is April 30th, 2017. I have a home group, and my home group is the Men's Advent Group in West Lawn, Pennsylvania. And I have a sponsor that has a sponsor, and I also sponsor guys. Um, yeah, so I'll just start from the beginning. I was born and raised here in Berks County, Pennsylvania. Um, lived here my whole life. And um, normal home, you know, had a good life. My family owns a business and um, live in a nice house and have always had more than enough, uh, more than the necessities, you know, uh, vacations every year. Um, Always had plenty of toys growing up. I played sports. Um, But, you know, there was always that part of me that, as cliche as it sounds like, I I just felt different. Um, Something just didn't feel right. Um, I was severely bullied at this Catholic school I went to in first and half of second grade. And um, I was, you know, pretty much told by the teacher and and principal that I was like a liar. Um, And I guess the term for that is gaslighting, where you can, you know, make somebody feel like they're crazy and um, yeah, you know, I would, I would tell the principal and teacher that this kid was, you know, harassing me and, and, uh, you know, they would just straight up say to me, oh, that didn't happen. And it actually got so severe at one point that my head, you know, got slammed into a door and, and now I have like this scar on my head. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was pretty wild. And I remember feeling, uh, really small and like helpless and, like there was nothing I, you know, I was felt totally out of control. So I left that school and, you know, I went to public school, which was, you know, it was fine. Um, but, you know, I went there and I started playing sports and, you know, it didn't really matter, you know, what crew I was in. It just, it just didn't seem like I was like everybody else. You know, I would play sports, but I wasn't a jock. You know, I was in the band, but I wasn't like a band geek. Um, I'd play, you know, video games, but wasn't like a gamer. Um, I just kind of tried, I I dabbled in a little bit of everything, but I didn't really like definitively know me. Um, I would dress like a skater, but you know, I couldn't skateboard to save my own life. I mean, I just really never had a a true identity. So something I did, you know, I I guess this is kind of an identity. I, I became a class clown and I started getting tons of attention Um, And I loved it. You know, I loved it right from from the beginning. So, you know, time goes on. I'm a a class clown. You know, I don't do so great in school. Um, Still playing sports. And uh, this opportunity came up and and, uh, I played in the band at a military school outside of uh, Philadelphia. And... um, you know, the military school is about an hour from my house. I, You know, where I live is about an hour and a half outside of Philadelphia to kind of, you know, show you where I'm at. And um, the military school is right near the King of Prussia Mall. And it's like, I think it's like the second biggest mall in the country and like the biggest mall on the East Coast. And it's a really uh, nice area. And uh, I went to military school for... Um, three and a half years, seventh grade through the middle of 10th grade. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff too that um, didn't help with my uh, memories of being bullied in first grade. 
Um, there's a lot of hazing there and put downs and, and belittling. And um, it was a very aggressive atmosphere. And, you know, in turn, that made my anger problems that I already had like worse. And so it was overall like a pretty bittersweet experience because I was in the band for my first two years there. And, I you know, I played the drums. I'm a drummer. And we would play in cool places. We'd play in the London New Year's Day Parade. Um, you know, we would play at uh, in New York City. We would play at the St. Paddy's Day Parade. We would play um, all over, all over. And it was really cool. We were on television. And um, it was a really cool experience for me. But at the same time, um, I think there was some aspects of the school that just were kind of damaging me in a way. And uh, I was probably already susceptible to that because I was always very, very emotional. I mean, it wouldn't take much for me to fly off the handle. And I always felt like I felt emotions more deeply and very raw and intense. And actually, my first time I ever drank was um, in London. It was New Year's Eve, uh, 2000, 2008, and I was 12 years old. And uh, we were there. Uh, it was the night before the New Year's Day parade. And, and uh, a lot of the guys there were 18. And the drinking age there is 18. And I remember somebody bought me like two, either 32 ounce or 40 ounce, you know, beer bottles. And uh, I drank them. And um, that wasn't the moment that I would say that I was definitively an alcoholic. Like I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the chaos of seeing the guys like get other girls and you know, all kinds of crazy stuff was going on. And I liked being a part of it. And I was smoking cigarettes and, and everything else. But um, I wasn't like, oh, this is it. Like, this is this is what I need. Um, that didn't that didn't hit me quite yet. But I did enjoy it. I, I always was one for a little bit of uh, rebellion and chaos. So uh, definitely an alcoholic in the making. Um, so the next year, I was in eighth grade and my aunt got married and I was at the wedding and, and the reception and my cousin um, bought me, you know, mixed drinks. And I remember then, you know, I enjoyed it and I felt good and felt relaxed. But even then, that wasn't like the moment where it's like, this is it. Uh, but I definitely liked it. Um, and the summer after that, summer going to ninth grade, I tried a... Uh, a green leafy substance for the first time. And it was okay. I liked that. Did that a couple of times. And I went to Hooters and we had fun there, me and some of my friends. But uh, it was only, you know, maybe half a dozen times that summer. Then the summer after ninth grade, I uh, really got into that substance, uh, the, the green leafy one. And the thing that was crazy about it was every time I did it, I was getting panic attacks. Like I wasn't even having fun. I had my first panic attack when I was high and I started getting like obsessed with like my own heartbeat and I was just really miserable. And uh, I remember, you know, I ended up getting it laced and I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm done doing this. I'm done smoking this. And of course there was like drinking a little bit in the mix, but that seemed like harder to get. Um, and so, you know, in 10th grade, I, uh, was at military school and um, I was still there. And I remember going on Facebook a lot 
And this had actually been going on prior to this, like the year before I was going on Facebook a lot and I was seeing people like going to parties and, and having fun and talent shows and all kinds of stuff. And I remember thinking like, I just want to be part of that. Like if I was on that side of the fence, maybe I'd be happier, you know, and I'm already three and a half years into this at military school and, uh, I packed up my stuff and I left. You know, I left in the middle of the night, had my parents pick me up. They told me I could leave whenever I wanted if I if I really did. And and so I left. And I gave up a lot of uh a lot of dreams by doing that. I had a lot of aspirations that that revolved around going to that school and and maybe taking me to the next level, but I wanted to see what the public school life was about. And um you know, for a guy that was already spiritually sick, you know, I came home and, and I immediately got into a, uh, into a relationship with somebody I just met, with a girl I just met, and it was toxic. And I was doing school online. I finished 10th grade online, and that wasn't going well. I wasn't doing my work. I was not eating a lot. I was just smoking cigarettes all day. And sometimes on the weekends, I was going to, you know, parties. And I still just didn't have that definitive moment yet though that was like alcohol is my solution but it was definitely building up and I definitely really liked alcohol at this point I definitely was thinking about it quite a bit but the the moment hadn't hit yet and I was dealing with a lot of guilt and shame from leaving that military school and I felt like I had abandoned people and I had abandoned something greater than myself and that was really hard you know, that was kind of hard to process that I that I had done that. It was like surreal, but I, I had wanted to leave for a while. And there was other things kind of going on there that, you know, doesn't really matter. But, you know, there's a whole lot of stuff into the mindset into why, you know, I, I left. And it, it just was a while in the making. So my junior year, I'm going back to my public school and it's kids I've known my whole life, kids I went to elementary school with and kids from my neighborhood and everything else. And my mom and my grandmom were going away on a vacation, on a cruise. And my dad is the more relaxed parent. And he's, you know, more of like my buddy. And uh, he said, you know, I could have some people over. And I, I'll never forget it. I left school early with uh, an older friend and uh, my cousin. And, you know, I got a bunch of alcohol and you know, it was like a bottle of Ciroc and bottle, you know, a couple other bottles and a case of beer. And I was like super excited. And, uh, you know, I had some, some old friends come to my house, some new friends I had just met. And I remember I was pre-gaming with, uh, my best friend. And then this, this other guy that I had just met, he was new to the area and I was trying to take him under my wing. And I remember I was in my basement and I had this this mug from Spencer's gift shop. It was a big, you know, uh, it wasn't even a mug. It was like a big, like, uh, cup. And it had bedazzled letter, letters on it. And it said, Big Daddy. And I remember I was drinking rum and Coke. And I was getting a buzz on. And I consciously had the thought, like, whoa, this is how I want to feel every day for the rest of my life the switch had gone on full blown the alcoholic switch 
Um, like I said, there was tendencies and there was definitely enjoyment in alcohol before that, but this was totally different. It was like something awful had just been born. And um, I tried to fulfill that. You know, I, I didn't, you know, I, that girlfriend I told you about, you know, I uh, didn't invite her to that party. I, I cheated on her. Um, I was chaotic. I blacked out, which is a bad sign. Um, and it was just a mess. And I enjoyed it. I had a good time from, from the parts I remembered in the beginning of the night and the pictures. And I remember I had this like conscious idea that I wanted to relive that night and I wanted to try and set everything up all over again. So I, I drank and throughout the week leading up to the next weekend, my mom and grandmom were still on the vacation and I invited mostly the same people. I set everything up in my basement the exact same way as I had the weekend before. I uh, got the same type of booze and it didn't go as well. I got violently sick. My best friend got violently sick. Um, it, it was just much more sloppy. It was messy. People were spilling stuff. It just it didn't go the, the way the first one went. And um, that was pretty much the beginning of the chase. The chase for that feeling, that relief, that excitement, the, the craziness. And that, and that went on, you know. And uh, I ended up, you know, breaking up with that girl, but... Long story short, her and I were on and off for all together, you know, like three and a half years. Um, and it was, that was toxic. And I, um, I was 16 and I was a full-blown alcoholic. Uh, and, and it almost seemed like it was overnight. You know, I went from going to parties and drinking over the summer and, you know, uh, nothing, nothing too out of the ordinary, I thought, to drinking every day. Coming home from school and at like 3.30, 4 o'clock, putting on a robe and making myself a crown, a crown and Coke in my bedroom. And uh, I thought that was okay. I thought that since it was expensive alcohol and I'm wearing a robe and whatever else that, that I'm on the road to success, this is good. This is good for me. While the other kids are at sports practices and and uh, doing, you know, extracurricular stuff and everything else. I'm at home drinking by myself at 16. And, and I thought that was wonderful. Time went on and uh, it got worse. You know, I was starting to get invited to less parties on the weekend. You know, I was getting more out of hand. I was becoming a liability to people. I was, I was getting a really bad reputation I was getting a really, really bad reputation. I was known as a guy that was like a player and, and a womanizer and a drunk. And it just wasn't fun to be around me anymore. It just wasn't fun. I'd either get sick or I'd break something. I would be mean. I would start some drama. Um, pretty much anything that any alcoholic can can relate to. I was a sloppy mess. And that that continued for the rest of high school. And there was a lot of instances in there that things got out of control. I almost, you know, had, had a party busted at my house. And um, there was a lot of times I just went way too far and I would pass out and my lips would turn blue. And um, 
my parents would be checking my breathing when I was going to bed. They would, they would sit by my side all night and, and just check my breathing because I would, I would drink too much. And I wasn't totally afraid. I, I just felt like, you know, I'm taken care of. I got people looking after me. Um, this is normal. This is okay. I can control it. And I, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I didn't think I was an addict. I didn't see anything wrong with this way of living. And I thought this could go on and there'd be no consequences. Um, so I went to community college for a year. I went to uh, one community college about an hour away from me and they had dorms there and I did that for a semester and, you know, wasn't too thrilled about that. I finished the second semester at a community college locally and and then I um, I had this, you know, plan to transfer to a, an actual university anyway. So, and through all of this, you know, I'm, I'm drinking, I'm drinking daily. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing all the stuff that I talked about before, and it's getting progressively worse and worse and worse. And so I remember in summer 2015, I went to the beach with a couple of friends. And, um, we went to this thing called senior week, which is really for high school seniors. I graduated the year before and I went to that senior week with friends and I thought it was the best time of my life because it was acceptable to day drink all day, every day for a week. And so I wanted to, to relive that. And, and as you can see, that's a theme with me. If I had one good time, I wanted to, you know, be the director and I wanted to be the writer and I wanted to make it happen all over again. And so, you know, here I am and, and it's 2015 and I'm there and I really shouldn't be. I didn't just graduate. I wasn't a senior and um, it didn't go well. I, we got kicked out of our hotel and uh, I guess, you know, I was, I was urinating off of the balcony and I guess you can't do that at a hotel. And uh, we got kicked out and uh, a whole big episode happened. I got into a rage and the next morning I woke up. And I felt really, really weird. It was just like, I didn't have a word for it at the time, but it was anxiety. I woke up and I felt all this anxiety and I felt like my whole body was tingling and the world felt like surreal, like it wasn't really here. And I remember I couldn't eat and uh, I, I just couldn't wait for it to be over. We stayed at this other motel uh, for the rest of the trip and I didn't, I didn't even really drink for the rest of the vacation. I was so scared that it would make me feel the way I had felt that morning. And I came home and I ended up not talking to those guys anymore that I went with. And uh, a couple of times that summer that that would happen again. I would drink and the next day I'd wake up and I'd feel that horrible anxious feeling. But it was manageable. Like it would go away after a certain amount of time. So I wasn't super concerned about it, but I was definitely aware of it and it was uncomfortable. So I went off to this university uh, about close to two hours away from my house. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, about 9,000 kids go there. So it's a decent sized school. And um, my first weekend there, I had the cops at my door, at, at, at my dorm room, standing outside, banging on the door for me to open it. Um, I guess I had my music going for too loud and too loud, too long. And I wasn't answering the door when the RA was trying to, you know, 
uh, telling me to turn it down, and I was, I was wasted. I was drunk, and um, other kids had gotten kicked out that weekend, and luckily I didn't. You know, and it was my first weekend there, and already there's cops at my door. So that's that's the start to my university experience, to my real college experience. And um, what did I do? You know, I joined a fraternity. I was hoping to have my life be like Animal House or be like a college, like American Pie type movie. And so I joined this fraternity and the guys were great. Uh, I remember that it wasn't, it was the biggest fraternity on campus, but it wasn't the most popular. It was a little bit on the nerdy side and, and I liked that, but I also felt like I could be the big fish in the small pond. Uh, I had that whole big shotism, and, you know, I was the only guy that really dressed, quote unquote, frat, you know, dressed preppy and, and this and that. And, um, I remember I was like, you know, I'll be the big fish in the small pond. And, and when we have parties, you know, girls will flock to me and, and totally ego running wild. And so that, was pretty bad because my drinking was getting really, really bad on the, on the weekends. I was drinking every day, but the weekends were, uh, really dangerous. And I, I was urinating myself every single weekend. Uh, they, my nickname was PP. And then for a while they called me P squared and it was a total disaster. And I remember, you know, it was a fraternity, but it wasn't, like in the movies and it wasn't like the other fraternities on campus like they weren't all about drinking they weren't obsessed with drinking we weren't even allowed to have kegs at our parties in this fraternity um, they had the best grades on campus like it was a lot of smart guys but I was the alcoholic and they you know they got a kick out of it but other guys saw me as a liability and uh, they have this this thing in the fraternity where, uh, you know, you're, you're the sober brother for a weekend. And I remember thinking like, oh man, like I, you know, I hope I don't get picked for that. Any of the weekends, this school year, I don't know if I could do that for a weekend and I'll get to that in a minute. But as that first semester went on, I was having more of those anxious episodes after drinking and the panic attacks. And I had a name for it too. I called it Dada, D-A-D-A, day after drinking anxiety and it was a total nightmare. And I remember the one time at homecoming, um, homecoming started on a Friday. I remember Saturday, I woke up and I didn't eat anything all day. And I had a panic attack hit me in the afternoon and uh, just scared the crap out of me. I just felt like I was going to die or go crazy or something. And I knew the alcohol was really causing it. But I just had the hopes that it would change. You know, I had the hopes that this was just a phase and, and the alcohol would would change and not and not be doing this to me because it was my best friend and it was my only coping skill and it was my way of relaxation and relief and and everything else. And so in February of 2016, I was supposed to be the sober brother for a weekend. And that Friday, I remember thinking throughout the day, I'm like, how am I going to do this? You know, how am I not going to drink this weekend and be part of the fun at the house and have fun at the party? You know, I have to walk around and be sober and make sure everybody's okay. And, you know, just make sure everything's all right. And 
I, I had to really think about that all day. And it was horrible. It was a horrible feeling. So nighttime rolls around and it's probably like an hour before I was supposed to go to the house. And I, and I decided, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go. So I uh, had a girl come to my dorm room and I remember all I had on me was like a six pack of beer. And I remember drinking that, which for me was just getting started for the night. And I turned off my phone and I decided that we'll go to another fraternity's party and we just won't acknowledge my, my fraternity. And once again, I blacked out, uh, but I was told that I fell down a flight of stairs and, and I, I guess I technically browned out, which is, you know, where you come in and out, you kind of remember some of it because I remember that I just ended up in this guy's car, my fraternity and we were we were talking and he said, you know, I just found you on the roof of somebody's car, practically passed out. And he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. And uh, that's kind of it. Next thing you know, I wake up the next morning and I'm in my bed naked and my couch, I, I had this big, big uh, dorm room. The dorms at this school were beautiful, had a living room and a kitchenette and two separate bedrooms and out in the living room was my clothing on the couch. And the couch was soaked in urine. And this wasn't anything unusual, but I remember that night, like I only planned on drinking that six pack. You know, I was just getting started, but I never wanted it to be like that. I would, I would just say, okay, well, I'm just buying this. I'm just getting this. And that's it. And um, I must have kept drinking when I got to that, you know, fraternity party. And uh, I threw on my clothes and I felt panicked. I was like, I can't believe it. I, you know, I didn't show up last night. I didn't go to the house. I didn't do this, didn't do that. And I run across campus. It's probably like a mile away from the fraternity house. And I get there and I remember I run up the steps and I was good friends with the president of the fraternity. And I, I go to his room and him and another guy are there. And I just looked at them and they looked at me. I just fell to my knees and I started crying. And I just was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know why I can't keep it together. And I remember they said, Mike, I, I think you got a drinking problem. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I couldn't believe that we were actually entertaining that idea. And a part of me, I knew something wasn't right. I knew something just wasn't right. You know, um, I had so many broken promises. I had so many things. And this was just the tip of the iceberg, a small task. Hey, just don't drink this weekend, you know, just look out for the other guys. There, you know, it was everybody did it at least once a, a school year. And I couldn't do it. I could not do it. So we talked and I said, you know, are you guys angry at me? And uh, they said, no. They said, we're not angry, we're concerned. And they said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I don't know. And they said, well, how about we take you to AA meetings on campus? We'll come with you. I said, no, I don't want to do that. They're like, forget that. I, I just got to figure this stuff out. I just got to figure this out. I'm going to cut back. I'm going to do something, but I'm not going to AA. Forget that. That's crazy. 
So the day went on and I had tutoring in the library at four o'clock and I'm in the library and I'm with the tutor and she's having me read some stuff out loud and wanted me to find where the punctuations were wrong or something like that. All of a sudden I'm reading and the next second I could not read. Yes, like I literally could not read and I couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And I just looked at her and I was like, uh, uh, I, I got to go to the bathroom. And it was one of those panic attacks again, the alcohol induced panic attacks. But this was totally different. This was like a different level that I'd never experienced before. And I'm in the bathroom and I'm feeling like wobbly in my legs and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm splashing water on my face. And I'm like, okay, just get it together. This is no big deal. You've been through this before. Everything's fine. And so I go back to the tutor and I sit down and we're about to dive back into the work. And I still like could not read. Like I couldn't put the letters together in my mind. I just got up out of my chair. I said, I got to go. My friend just called me and I have to leave. And she looks at me and she's like, really? I said, yep, I got to go. She's like, well, can you just fill out this? I said, nope, nope, I got to go. Just email it to me. So I go back to my room. I'm like pacing to my dorm and I'm going across campus and I feel like everybody's looking at me and I'm so, I felt like I'm losing my mind and I go to my room and uh, I'm practically like pacing around my room and I, I was just trying to make this feeling go away. Um, I like, <laughs> I couldn't get comfortable. I laid in my bed, I stood up, I turned the lights on, turned them off put my head under running water in the shower, started making myself throw up. I was like, maybe something's wrong. Maybe I got to get something out of my system. Uh, I called my parents. I was like crying. I said, you know, I, I need you to pick me up. Something's radically wrong. And they're like, you're just having a panic attack. You know, it's okay. I said, no, this is totally, totally, totally different. Um, and, and it did feel different. It, it, this went on for five hours you know, I've had panic attacks and, and everything else and anxiety, but nothing like this for five hours straight. And I ended up having uh, two fraternity brothers take me to the hospital. And uh, I got there and I told, you know, told the doctor that I was drinking all night and, you know, that this was starting to happen to me. And, and he gave me an Ativan to calm me down, which is a uh, I guess like it's just like a benzo and it's supposed to, you know, calm you down and they're extremely addictive. And he gave me like two or three of them to take back with me. And um, I felt different after this experience. I went back to my, I actually went to the fraternity house and I stayed in an empty bedroom there and I wouldn't leave the room. Uh, we were about a week away from spring break. I didn't go to any classes the whole week. I remember that we were going to one of the dining halls and the second I walked in there, I had a like a panic attack and it was like I let a genie out of the bottle. I now was anxious all day, all night, um, on the verge of a panic attack all the time. And so I came home and I got um, prescribed Xanax and Prozac. Xanax is a benzo. It's actually more intense of a benzo than the Ativan and I got prescribed Prozac which is an antidepressant and um, I remember I, I told my my doctor that I'd been seeing for years what happened 
And he said to me, well, how much are you drinking? I said, well, I don't know. Sometimes 15 beers. And I even knew that that was not true. I mean, on some of my worst nights, it was 30 beers. And he, he looked at me and he said, you're drinking 15 beers in a sitting? I said, yeah, 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 but it's not, that's not often. And he said, do you, do you want to go to rehab? We have a really good rehab where I live. It's, it's one of the best in the country. Um, like celebrities have gone there and, it, and it's just like a really nice place. And so he offered up going there. And I said, no, I said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. I just can't control my drinking right now. <laughs> that's ridiculous even thinking of that. I'm an alcoholic, but I can't control my drinking. And he said, okay, you know, and, and he's a doctor and he's seen alcoholics before, I'm sure. And so he knows you can't really press it on anybody. So I took my meds and I went along my merry little way. And I said, that's it. I'm not drinking ever again because it's given me this anxiety. And the doctor said so. And, you know, this Xanax seems kind of nice. And uh, I took more than my recommended dose for that for about six weeks. And as soon as that prescription ran out, I said, you know, maybe I can try controlled drinking again. And I remember I had two beers. I was at home and it was a weekend that I wasn't at school. And I had two beers. I thought, wow, like I can, I can do this. Maybe the Prozac actually helped me control my drinking. Because I continued to take that every day as an antidepressant. So I drank uh, two beers and the next day. I had two beers again, and I thought, whoa, like I'm, I'm normal, but it felt like an effort to drink just those two beers. Like it wasn't this easy, like, you know, people put down a drink and they don't even think about it. Like I was thinking about it, and I was putting work into this. The following weekend, I went overboard and blacked out and woke up in my own urine right back to where I was six weeks prior, and cunning, baffling, and powerful you know, I thought I had this thing under control, and uh, I didn't. And that insanity really went on for close to close to like a year, where I would take a break for like four, six weeks, something like that, anywhere between two and six weeks, really. And I'd say, okay, it's like a reset button. And I did everything the book talked about, you know, I would cut out all liquor, only drink beer, only drink certain types of beer, only try to drink certain days. And I failed at all of it. Every single method I, I tried, I failed. And uh, I'd never been exposed to AA, you know, so here I am. I'm really doing what the book suggests. Like if you don't think you're an alcoholic, try some controlled drinking, you know, try to abruptly stop drinking. I just, with my own mind, I tried all that and it didn't work. So uh, after my third semester at this university, I failed out. And so that was like winter time. So I come home in December and I'm done. And, you know, I, I remember having not really any big plans. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm going to come off these uh, antidepressants and I'm going to, you know, try and become successful and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, I was tapering off the antidepressants. I was getting uncomfortable, having some like withdrawal symptoms from that. And I, you know, I still had anxiety now too. Like that never fully went away. And I'm drinking over top of coming off the meds and it was a mess. I had my days and nights mixed up. 
I, I wasn't even, I was supposed to be working for my family business. I wasn't showing up to work. And in March of, so we're at 2017 now, March 2017, March 9th, I turned 21. And um, at this point, I hadn't really been drinking liquor for a while. It was just beer. But now that I was 21, I went back to liquor and I started drinking liquor again daily. And if you think about it, it's like full circle because my story started out with me drinking whiskey every day. So now I'm drinking whiskey every day again and inappropriate times. I mean, it's all inappropriate, but I was drinking at like five o'clock, four o'clock rather than like eight or nine, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) I don't really know what normal drinking hours are anyway. But, you know, I I just kind of took a look at my life and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't going anywhere. I'm not getting any better. My anxiety sucks when I'm not drinking and Um, when I was going out to bars and stuff, I was hanging out with people that I wouldn't normally hang out with, but they were the only people that would drink with me. And that was always a common theme with me that I would hang out with people that I really didn't want to hang out with. But if you drank like me or, or didn't care how I drank, you know, I'd, I'd hang out with you. And that, and that would happen even when I went to community college in the past and all my friends were away, I would hang out with anybody I could. So I took a look at it and I said, you know what, I think I'm going to take a break. And uh, my last drink was April 30th of 2017. And I remember the plan was I went to dinner with my parents and uh, went to an Italian restaurant and I ended up, you know, uh, drinking a lot there. And I came home and a buddy of mine from high school and we, we even went to the same college for a bit said to me, you know, let's go get a couple drinks. He was recently 21 too. Okay, no big deal. We go to the go to the bar and, you know, we didn't have a couple drinks. He's like me. He's an alcoholic. And actually six months later, he came into the program and he's been sober two and a half years now. And he brought me home that night and uh, it just wasn't enough. You know, I called some people and they picked me up and then took me to Applebee's and I drank more there. And then uh, on the way home, I had them take me to a uh, this place called the Barbecue Pit and I picked up two six packs there and brought those home with me. And the evening started with just going to dinner with my parents and, you know, maybe order a beer there. And I didn't do that. It went from going out to eat with my parents, drinking like a pitcher of beer there, then to have a couple of drinks with a friend and then doing it, you know, overdoing it with him and then Applebee's and drinking and then picking up two six packs at the end. And so the next day I was supposed to run a 5k and I didn't, you know, I didn't go. And that's when I really started to analyze this. I'm like, okay, I, I'm not working. I don't really have any money. I'm living at home with my parents being fully supported by them. Um, and I don't know what I want to do. And I, I think that the drinking is holding me back and I'm anxious when I'm not drinking and I don't know how to deal with it. So I said, okay, I'm going to take a break. I didn't commit to anything. I'm just going to take a break. Well, apparently if you've been drinking every day, you can't just stop. And like two days after that, I started getting like 
and I don't know if it was a combination from like coming off of the antidepressant and everything else. I think it was, it was probably a combination of it all. So I came off that antidepressant quickly and I abruptly stopped drinking and I went into some like crazy withdrawal and I, you know, started having like auditory hallucinations and I couldn't sleep and I was like sweating and sick to my stomach. And, um, I went to my doctor and cause I thought maybe it was just anxiety that was getting worse. And he put me back on the antidepressant and he said, you know, I really think that you should do something about the drinking. I said, look, I'm going to go to AA, like no rehab. I'm going to go to AA. I'm going to do it. Cause that first night the withdrawal kicked in. I, I, I thought it might be anxiety, but I knew drinking had something to do with it. And I, it was like my higher power planted a thought in my head and I call my higher power God. He planted a thought in my head that I need to go to AA, that this is what I have to do. And it was so clear to me in the middle of this chaos and this storm that that's what I had to do. And I said, I'm like, God, I'll do whatever you want, whatever you want me to do. And I'm crying. And it was, and it was a spiritual experience. And about 12 days after my last drink, because I, I really just needed to kind of, you know, calm down a bit. I, I went to my first AA meeting. It was a Thursday night young, young people's meeting over here in Berks County. And um, I went there and, and I met my the guy that would be my first sponsor. He was a young guy. He was like seven months sober at the time. And uh, his name was Ricky. And he put his arm around me and he said, you never have to feel this way ever again. And I just held on to that. You know, I didn't, didn't have to feel defeated by alcohol ever again. I didn't have to feel demoralized by alcohol again. I could have a purpose. You know, that's, that's what I, that's why I took that as. And, and honestly, it took like four months till I was able to kind of sleep and, and everything else. And so, um, that's how I got into AA and, and I've had a couple sponsors. I've had three sponsors and I've been through the steps and, uh, the sponsor I have now, I've been working with him for like a year and a half and, uh, it's been going good. And, uh, this journey, you know, it, it's, it's been wild so far. You know, I've had my bouts with the anxiety and, you know, at one point, uh, I came off of those antidepressants again, like a year ago. And I, I went through withdrawal from the meds and, uh, that was pretty crazy. And, um, I came to Florida on a vacation and, and this was in February of 2019. So over a year ago, and I met Dennis and, and his sponsor and a couple other guys. And I told them, you know, I was having panic attacks and anxiety. And they were telling me to walk through this paper thin fear that appears to be 30 miles wide and 30 miles high. And I'm like, wow, you know, that the, there's people in sobriety that have been through this through this anxiety and, and stuff like that. And so it inspired me, you know, so I started kind of pushing my boundaries with the anxiety as time has gone on. I've started going out more and I, I made myself do some longer trips and, and stuff that I knew that would bring on the anxiety. Cause when I went on that trip to Florida over a year ago, I was afraid of the panic attacks. I was afraid of what was going to happen. You know, we, we had to drive on that vacation cause I was, I was afraid to fly because I had a panic attack on a flight the year before that. 
in sobriety. And I said, I'm never flying again. Well, this past September, I flew. And it was with that seed that was planted by Dennis and his sponsor and and the people I met there in Orlando that gave me the idea that I, I can get through this with my higher power and with the program and, and with everything else. And I've been back. I've been back to Orlando in September. And when this quarantine's over, I'll, I'll be coming back again because that's one of my favorite places to go. And I enjoy the meetings there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And I really appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity. Thank you, Dennis, for inviting me to do this. And I hope you all stay safe during this quarantine. You know, hopefully this gets done sooner than later. But luckily today we, we have a program to get through this, you know, and, and I firmly believe that we can get through this one day at a time. So once again, thanks for having me. Uh, thank you so much, Mike F. Uh, your story, experience, strength and hope, as we say. Now's the time where we identify uh, in little pieces. And what I really, truly enjoyed, I know when I first came into the rooms, um, I'm Mike, grateful alcoholic. I appreciated the fact that. Um, when your story is being told, I need something that identifies that, oh, yes, I drank because of that, that same emotion, that feeling. And without sharing that, some people call it the drunk log, like how it was before you came into the rooms. That to me is so necessary. So that way, I also feel like if this worked for you, it's going to work for me. And I know when you were talking about uh, you know, you'd wear skater clothes, but you weren't a skater. I felt the same way. I actually one summer just decided to heck with it. I don't feel like I fit in. So I'm going to dye my hair black. And I had blonde hair and I just dyed my hair jet black. And I looked like Pugsley from the Adams family. And for no, <laughs> for no other reason. So I'm in 10th grade. And like you were talking about wearing skater clothes and not a skater. Uh, same thing. I would wear a Papa Roach black T-shirt big junko jeans and just go for it and people were like what's wrong with you and there were actually people that were like in the the cool part the cool crowd that came up to me and had conversations like what happened like what went wrong with you and that's when i started smoking marijuana i wouldn't say i was a pothead but i did get panicky and after i graduated high school that that sense of panic set in and whenever I would drink and smoke pot, I said, you know what? I can't, I can't do this anymore. And instead of just quitting everything at that time, I quit pot. And from the time I was 20 till, till I was 30, probably only two or three more times I had smoked pot because I thought in my head, I said, the mixture is no good. So then my drinking just accelerated, you know, uh, and I, I couldn't help but laugh when you were talking about, Uh, drinking crown in a robe and you thought you were fancy so that way it uh you know that's a fancy drink so yeah i can't be an alcoholic you know because i'm i'm fancy and there was so many times where i i would drink crown and i would think oh there's nothing you know wrong about this and then i would get myself into trouble you know that cunning baffling powerfulness and that controlled drinking didn't work you know, pretty much all the stories in the book, in the big book, there's at least one story that rings true in, in everyone that I've talked to that's in the rooms where they're like, 
that piece really got me, you know, because even though there's so many decades since the latest version of the big book has been out um, with those stories that there's pieces that are still timeless. And within your story, I saw that. And the one thing that in the end, the last few minutes, when you talked about how your life had changed, um, it was very clear that it works if you work it and you have to. And you being a sponsor and coming in at such a young age, if there's somebody who is 20, 21, 22 and coming into AA where legally you only could drink legal for a year or two years, um, if there aren't other people that are young in sobriety there, I know I probably wouldn't have stuck around if there weren't people even younger than me at the age of 29, when I came in, if there weren't 22, 23, 24 year olds, I wouldn't have found some of the same similarities. So I really appreciate that. Uh, Mike F and thank you so much for uh, recording, you know, your story and sharing it with us today. Dennis Alcoholic. Hey, Dennis. Uh, Mike, Mike, thanks for sharing your story with us. Like I said before, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think the most obvious thing that I can relate to is the anxiety. Um, you know, we've talked about this in person a lot when, you, when I first met you and stuff and, and how... I dealt with my anxiety and where it came and, you know, like early on, like you, it's, it's my anxiety. I didn't tie to alcoholism or drug addiction or anything like that. It was, it's, it's, it was this separate problem. And, um, you know, like I, you know, also like you, I, I tried to control drinking and stuff. I actually like quit drinking like a year and a half before I came in and like before that I, I only drank on like my birthday and new year's for like a couple of years. And it's like, Oh, I can go and have a glass of wine and be okay. And then, you know, eventually like I did that a couple of times and then, you know, then there's that one time where it kicks off and it's full blown sloppiness and drunkenness and hung over for three days or whatever. Um, so, I ended up quitting and then like my anxiety and everything got a lot worse. And so when people would mention like, you know, I met some, a good friend of mine that was in the program and in AA and he would mention, Oh, why don't you come to a meeting with me or check it out or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I don't drink. I don't need that or whatever. And then I, you know, eventually I went to a meeting just to check it out and stuff and, and, realized that a lot of the things that I was dealing with, like with the anxiety and depression and everything else was like these people had dealt with. And I was like, okay, maybe there's something here. So I stuck around and I did the program and I've learned so much from it um, about like myself and my addictions and my alcoholism and, and the anxiety and stuff that, you know, I, I now believe that they were completely related you know someone that I know in the in the rooms often says you know it's not it's not about what happens when you're drinking you know because we all we're all fine when we're drinking it's what how do we react and how are we when we're not drinking and I think that was it although I quit like a year and a half before I ever came into the rooms and 
things got worse when I wasn't drinking. And I think that showed me my alcoholism. And then I'll, I'll close up with this, that like, um, it's great. I always enjoy hearing from you. And when you come back um, and come to our meetings and stuff, it was great. I think last time I saw you, you mentioned in your story how when you first came down, we first met, you had to drive down here because, you know, you were afraid to fly. You couldn't fly. And then we met and, you know, I told you about my experience with the anxiety and stuff and how I ended up like overcoming a lot of it and was able to like get on an airplane and fly to Thailand and stuff like that. And then when you came back the last time or whatever, you're, you're like, Oh, I flew here and stuff. And I was like, wow, like that's a miracle. You know what I'm saying? To see, you know, the state of anxiety that you were in and to see that you're applying things that you're learning and overcoming it and like able to get on an airplane and then, all that it's just just a miracle it it makes me feel good for you but then also for other people in the program that are dealing with the same stuff um also i look forward you're supposed to be here before quarantine all happened to come to disney and we were planning on to go to disney world so i really look forward to when this is all over and we can all go as a group to disney world and and enjoy that so again thank you for your story appreciate it Awesome, James. All right. Wonderful. Hi, uh, Mike. Uh, my name is James. I'm an alcoholic. James. Uh, look, forward to meet, look forward to meeting you in person. Um, I really enjoyed uh, listening to your story. You know, as a as fellow alcoholic, I could identify with a lot. Uh, the way you spoke your story uh, was very entertaining, if you will. Um, you were, You made it pleasant to listen to even though it had a lot of hurt and heartache um if that makes sense um i liked um you know when you were talking about when you were little you know um i love that you went all the way back to when you were a little kid being bullied and then people they didn't believe in you and that must have been so frustrating you know i've been through bullying i've been the bully before and i've also had people not believe me uh, kind of like the, the boy who cried wolf. You know, after so many times, people don't believe you. Not saying that you were crying wolf, but that was my story. Um, I also identify with um, when you were talking about dabbling. You know, a lot of different things: sports, music, uh, skateboarding. But you, you didn't have an identity, and uh, I found that to be true to me too. I, I got good at a lot of different things but it was i never mastered anything um i was a little skater punk too i wore the skater clothes and i had fun um sitting around all summer um getting high drinking you know being no good skater punk and um uh, you talked about the, the leafy green substance i started in ninth grade too and that became a big part of my high school days, uh, weekend warrior drinking, all the fun stuff. And then um, when I went to college, uh, much like you, I took off. You know, I had a, I went to college in Miami from Alaska, and I brought a fake ID that a friend had made for me on the early, the earliest of Photoshop's in 1997. 
And um, I used that fake ID to get every one of my dorms alcohol for over a year until it finally got taken away. Um, you know, when you said that alcohol became your only coping mechanism, I could definitely relate to that because after a while, if things were hitting me hard, if I was sad, if I was depressed, if I wanted to celebrate, you know, alcohol was there. It was always there. Um, once I crossed that line, once the switch was turned on, as you said, um, and I've, I also liked when you, um, you, you missed your opportunity to be the sober brother at your fraternity. And then, um, it seems like when you went into that, those gentlemen's room and you got on your knees, and you said, you don't know what's wrong with me. Like that was the point where, you know, you, you knew something was wrong and I, could really identify with that and and finally when you uh you stated that your higher power planted a thought in your mind um i just love that and i love you know although he did plant it in your mind from what i had heard in your story it sounded like a couple seeds were planted with uh with your fraternity brothers and with your doctor as well and then finally god gave that last push and you were ready. So really remarkable story. Um, I, I loved at the beginning how you said, you know, um, you sponsor guys, you have a sponsor, and he has a sponsor, you know, because that's what it's all about. It's about taking what you have, what was freely given to you, and then giving it away. It sounds like you're all about it. And, um, and you're sober today. You've got two months more than me, so congratulations, brother. I'm working on three years. Uh, can't wait to meet you. God bless you. Bye. Love it. Thank you, James. And thank you, Mike F., for uh, sharing your story. And one of my favorite things, guys, too, if people are listening to this and they're like, I'd really like to share my, my story, there's an easy way to do it. If you have a smartphone, I, I'm not sure. Like, Dennis, did he record it on voice memo? Did he tell you how he recorded his story? Um, no, he didn't. I don't know if he did it on his phone or his computer, but he recorded it somehow. Yeah. Like and if, sent, emailed it. I know just as far as the audio goes, if, and I think Androids have it as well. I, I know I have an iPhone that voice memo, uh, the clarity of it, if you, you know, record it in a room that doesn't have an echo. So with something on the walls or even in a closet, if you want to share your message, um, you can send it to us uh, right on there and reach out on Twitter, Dennis. I know you handle that. Yeah, Twitter at the underscore characters. Um, we have other people that are interested in sharing their stories. Uh, we're just waiting for them to get back to us with the story. Um, but we're, we, you know, I, I'll speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure Mike and James is we enjoy hearing people's experience that we've never heard before and i know there's people all over the world like what 14 or 16 countries or something that listen to us so we're very interested in hearing from all types of people from all walks of life all different experiences and stuff because every story that we hear we get something out of and so i know our listeners do as well so if you're interested reach out at the underscore characters and twitter awesome thank you 
Thank you, guys. We'll be back next Thursday sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you on episode 37, where the defective character is entirely ready to have these character defects removed. Remember, it works if you work it, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Stay six feet apart. Wash your hands. Wear a mask.